We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking down the biggest storylines from week two. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. Find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, week two, you know, we had some ups and downs. I didn't have a great week, personally. It was an interesting one, though. There was a lot of... I don't know. There, I mean, it's it's an early season week, so there's a lot that we can take from it in usage and everything else. But then there was also a lot that I think we'll look back on and and you know recognize it as we do with every year that there are fluky performances. There's a lot of things this week that I that I don't think will be very indicative of of the whole season. Well, you say it was a rough week, but I just want to point out that anyone who has been reading Stealing Signals and took the Carolina Panthers defense to start the season that Ben has been recommending to you. I mean, that pays for itself already, right? The Panthers just overwhelmed the saints today, put up a huge number of defensive points. So again, let's not hype the defense pick too much. It's not the only good piece of advice over there, (laughs) but a transcendent one, right? I mean, again, Carolina Panthers, we wanted to start out with not that obviously, we had the five big things Ben has put together the list for us. And the number one thing, obviously, today, Rondell Moore with the massive breakout with the Arizona Cardinals and really one of the more entertaining games I've ever seen. You have Kyler Murray playing a fantastic performance, except for the pick six and the other terrible interception when they were going into score another time. The Cardinals actually only win, uh, unfortunately, because of some kicker mishaps on the Vikings. You always kind of hate the kicker to have to uh, sit with that and hold that all week because he did kind of cost them the game. The Vikings rallied back from last weekend when they played the Bengals and frankly didn't look very good. We saw today kind of the difference between having to face Dalvin Cook and facing Derrick Henry. Dalvin Cook, not a big fantasy performance, but uh, he was slashing through that Arizona Cardinals defense. Justin Jefferson came back, looked good. We talked about adding KJ Osborne last week to your deep dynasty teams. He comes out and scores a 64-yard touchdown to get that game going. But, Ben, it was Rondell Moore. Anyone who purchased the Rotoviz rookie guide uh, has 100% of more because Blair and I, especially with the whole team, ranked him incredibly high. He had 70-plus-yard touchdown today. He had a goal-line sort of manufactured touch, and we talked that was one of the reasons why you wanted to have him. Uh, that play didn't work out, and yet he still had a massive performance. Yeah, I mean – 
had a couple really sharp plays. I mean, the, the play right before half, catching a ball, sort of faking, going out of bounds, cutting back inbounds, weaving his way back out of bounds, knowing that he didn't have a lot of time was like one of the headiest plays that you'll see from any NFL player, not a rookie, any player, really ever. <laughs> like, I mean, you don't see a lot of players with that type of awareness mid-play. It was fantastic. I mean, anyone who didn't see it, he ran a little quick out. They had like eight seconds on the clock before half, and he's basically needing to just run out of bounds. They don't have any timeouts. Uh, but he sees a little crease and cuts it up and, and gains enough yards and then gets out of bounds with literally one second before half. They basically weren't going to be able to run another play and get out of bounds and get to field goal range, but because he made that little move, he got them to where they could take a long field goal. I believe it was a 60-yard kick, You know, even after he gained the additional yardage, and he did it very quickly, which was necessary, and they made the kick. I mean, he basically got them three points. I mean, the kicker did as well, making a 60-yard or Matt Prater. It was a nice kick, but um, a phenomenal play. Anyway, just little things like that. When you see that from a rookie, you're like, okay, this guy, I mean, on top of the 70 yard TD, on top of the other stuff that the, obviously from a fancy perspective, you pointed out the jet motion tip pass that he got, which was fantastic. Um, unfortunately, right as he was sort of going in, that ball got poked loose. Hopefully they don't hold that against him too much. It, it got fumbled out of bounds and there was a penalty on the play. Anyway, he wouldn't have got a TD, but, um, there was a lot there where it was like, there's no way they can – I mean, this is what we talk about. Rookies' roles expand. He didn't even run routes on half of their dropbacks in week one. Typically, it takes a few weeks. What happens is the good rookies make plays immediately, right? Like we saw A.J. Brown immediately comes to mind. Started producing uh, you know, efficient lines on, on, on a smaller role early in the year, and by week nine, week ten of his rookie year, he was a full-time player. For Rondell Moore, it might not take that long because he's already producing – so much on so little, on so few routes. Um, I, it, the, the way that he's producing to me, it's like uh, a lock that he has to be on the field for them right now. And you mentioned has to be on the field. Even after he had all those amazing plays early, uh, he did seem to be out down the stretch a decent amount, which was unfortunate for them because the Vikings were able to uh, finally take DeAndre Hopkins out of this one in the second half when he had another big first half performance with that touchdown so, yeah, we, we hope that he'll have more. You don't want A.J. Green to be the guy you're trying to get the ball into late. Green did have the touchdown, and this one wasn't quite as disastrous as his week one performance. But he was um, pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't quite as disastrous, but you're right. They were forcing targets to A.J. Green or, or whatever. You know, they were taking away Hopkins, and Green was the correct option. And it was like, man, this is not – this offense looked a lot better when Ron Moore was on the field, to your point. Yeah, and he had the 42840, the 40-inch plus vertical. You're thinking, okay, I mean, these are hand times. Some of this stuff are people <laughs> clicking a little bit fast. He looks every bit of that out on the NFL field. And, uh, I mean, again, that's, that's what he did as a young freshman at Purdue. You expect those things to transfer over. It's exciting to see them translating over so quickly. And, yeah, I mean, every little thing like that, getting them set up for that 62-yard field goal, and Ben, we got a lot of kicker points today. It's always nice to get kicker points. Sometimes when you go in and uh, for the week, you see, okay, my score's lower than I thought. You'll go in and see that actually your kickers and defenses didn't score anything. And then sometimes you'll go in and you'll be a little bit disappointed. Look up your score. Oh, I'm in good shape. And because your kicker and defense scored a lot, those are going to be pretty random. But when someone essentially gets you an extra touchdown, we got Matt Prater on a lot of those teams. Uh, that's a Denny Carter special. Uh, we have extra 
Thanksgiving to more for getting us those points as well. Who are some of the other guys who really broke out today? Some offenses that are maybe performing better than you expected. Yeah. The second thing on this little list was just like some offenses that are, you know, have been better. I I've been kind of hard on Teddy Bridgewater and I think some of that was warranted. I don't think his play last year with the Panthers was particularly good. It was fine, but like there were some issues with it. Uh, he's been really good though in these first two weeks with the Broncos. I've been very, very impressed. He's been throwing the deep ball even a little bit better. You know, someone said he, he can't really throw people open, so he needs people. He needs players to to get open. <clears throat> I think that there's there's something to that. At the same point. I can distinctly remember several plays where DJ Moore was wide open last year and, and he just couldn't get the ball to him. And and his deep his deep balls with the Broncos have not been necessarily perfect. There there have been a couple that have hung up or been, you know, off off the wrong shoulder. He's not a great deep ball thrower still, but he has very much kept that offense on schedule. He's very accurate in the short and intermediate ranges. He has delivered some deep balls and at least kept defenses honest. It's been actually Pretty eye-opening. I mean, it's sort of like a mea culpa for me. Like, I did not think that he could do this much with their offense. You talked about it a lot this offseason. Talked about how he did support 3,000-yard receivers last year. I I just didn't think that he would play to the level that I've seen these first two weeks. And I think it's very, very promising for for the Broncos. For And we have a lot, a lot of guys in the Broncos. We have fans on a few teams. You know, obviously, we're hoping Judy – gets back we have a lot of judy but we have just a ton of handler i think on every team and uh some javante williams as well so a lot of exposure to different broncos players and i think the way that bridgewater has played in that offense so far through two weeks has been really promising it has been and he did have those three 1000 yard receivers last year was unfortunate that they weren't using dj Moore exactly the way that we wanted to use them it's been uh, an interesting contrast because this season uh sam darnold has sort of unlocked dj Moore even to the next step Moore looked fantastic today, 20 points in the first half, probably goes on to a huge 30-plus point game if the Panthers need to throw a little bit more. But the number two and number three guys there haven't been doing much. And so uh, some of that is just what's a couple of games in and they haven't needed to with them dominating those games. But then you take that and you look at what Bridgewater has done with the Broncos. And again, you've got these multiple guys involved. He threw the long pass to Hamler last week that Hamler dropped. He's got a couple touchdowns already to Tim Patrick. He's got the touchdown today to Noah Fant, really spreading it around. Cortland Sutton with the 9 for 159 line, but it could have been much bigger. I mean, people who have Cortland Sutton have to be over the moon today. He had a beautiful 49-yard target to Sutton where Sutton was held at the end, couldn't quite get there, not completed. He had a second 50-yard target that was a little bit underthrown. It was a defensive pass interference that wasn't called. So you have 99 yards worth on just those two targets there that didn't happen. He had a third 50-yarder that was complete, and then he had a 30-yard target into the end zone where it really looked like we could have had a defensive pass interference called as well. And so there were so many deep targets that were close. We're not talking about deep targets like 15 yards out of bounds where they're mostly throwaways. I mean, close plays that Sutton could have had. And... I mean, Bridgewater was more or less on target with them. Now, his balls are never going to look great, right? He doesn't throw the ball hard. The the long ball wobbles. But we could really see the quality of his decision-making through the first two weeks. And 258 air yards for Sutton this week led the week. It was more than anyone last week. It was 
a monster figure in terms of, and you were just detailing some of those, some of those deep shots. Some of the other teams that we've been impressed with the the Bucks again this week threw a lot. You know, we're talking about them sort of going full bills and all of those things. We saw Mike Evans get back involved. I kind of suspected that might happen. I played some of him in DFS, one of the few smart decisions I made in DFS this week. He had a very nice day. Gronk, again, looked fantastic. Chris Godwin caught their fifth touchdown and got in, got involved. We didn't see a lot of Antonio Brown this week. But just the fact that the throwing as much as they are, uh, I think can just continues to be a very positive thing. And, and this offense looks really good. It does, and it, it looks like Chris Godwin is probably going to be the guy based on you know two weeks through. Again, that's kind of what we were saying. Uh, the way that we wanted to play it was with Godwin if you're spending a lot, Brown if you're spending not as much. The reason that Brown, despite all of the plaudits for his offseason play and his you know training camp play, is just this question of, again, his air yards profile last season and his snap profile raised some red flags about you know, in, in some of these games, if you have so many other targets, you can get boxed out. You know, it's maybe not as good a weekly play. Now, there is some huge upside in an offense that's going to be scoring this many points. I think another sort of red flag for him is that they talked about the two guys who looked like they might be back to their previous form or closer to their previous form, talking about the superstars in Gronkowski and, and Brown. Gronk really kind of boxes out some of these other guys if he's going to play the whole season the way he's played through two weeks. Yeah, definitely. And on the other side of that game, we have Atlanta, who looked much better in week two than in week one. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I had this as our fourth big thing, but I wanted to ask you about Cordero Patterson. Kind of had a hard time sort of taking him seriously. Uh, I put in some small bids for him in some leagues last week. I have him on a couple of teams stashed. But obviously watching this game, I, I wish I had a lot more of him. He scores twice. He has uh, seven high-value touches, which – are you know receptions and, and green zone work there was five receptions and two green zone touches a, a combo of both exactly what you want to see in a number two running back he has essentially the exact profile we would want from a number two running back both you know both of those types of touches uh a little bit of a fragile or a, i would say a, a very fragile maybe perhaps the most fragile starter in front of him in the league and you have that that contrast between the role and and what he's seeing and what it could mean and the fact that he's 30 year old Cordero Patterson who's been a kick return specialist and at times a receiver and he has been pretty solid as a running back when he's played the position but is he going to be the zero RB savior this year well he he looks fantastic we talked a, a lot about not drafting Mike Davis. He's a, a dead zone running back but also one of these guys where it's just a narrow moat right you can't go out and be spending a pick that you can use on uh, ascending wide receivers to select a running back who could get knocked out so quickly based on his talent profile. Now, the reason that people were still drafting him is there's that the Falcons had nobody else. And now we're seeing that maybe that's not the case. You know, Cordell Patterson, former first round pick, a failed wide receiver, but you could see today, the thing that's been really striking is that when he takes normal handoffs, he hits the hole hard. Right. I mean, you look at him compared to a lot of the other running backs out there. He definitely doesn't look worse. And in many cases, he looks better than these guys. They have been able to get the ball to him in space very quickly uh, with some dump off passes. Then he's uh, just, again, shown that 
kick returnability once he's in space looks fantastic. When you contrast those two things, what he looks like and what he does for the offense, how he allows them to manipulate other aspects of the defense and just to pick up some first downs that they desperately need, he looks like he's going to be the guy. You mentioned the high value touches. Obviously, he's getting those receptions. Uh, you mentioned the touches down by the goal line. One of those was a wildcat play where he and Davis kind of miscommunicated. And if they don't do that and actually fumble, you know, lose a little bit of yards, I mean, they get the fumble back. But that was a play that broke down. I don't know if we'll see it a ton more given that it did break down. But if he's going to be a wildcat QB down by the goal line, that's another area in which, you know, he could end up scoring a lot more touchdowns over the course of the season than it would have seemed remotely possible before the last couple of weeks. So uh, in many cases, I, I think that he's going to be a better add than some of the big names from early on. You think of Sonny Michel, uh, obviously now he may have some opportunities. Uh, Tyson Williams looked very good today compared to Murray. And yet if Cordero Patterson is the guy this week or the guy this year who becomes sort of the uh, JD McKissick, then uh, I wouldn't be surprised because through two weeks, he looks exactly like it. It also wouldn't be surprising if JD McKissick is the JD McKissick with how extraordinary he looked in the passing game on Thursday night. But yeah, Ben, the Falcons look better. They were able to get Calvin Ridley back going again. Matt Ryan still struggled on some. He had a deep target to Ridley where Ridley was wide open under through him. Couldn't get that done. If he had a little bit more arm strength, I think Ridley would be poised to have a monster season as it is. They're going to have some limitations there, but it was great to see them bounce back. We did take him out of our lineups where we have him and either Fields or Lance, and we moved almost exclusively to Derek Carr, who put up an impressive game last week against the Baltimore Ravens. There uh, were some questions about him going into this week. How would that work out playing this Steelers pass defense that shut down the Buffalo Bills last week? And instead what we saw the Steelers were able to limit Darren Waller, but Derek Carr still shredded them. Yeah, that was an interesting game. Carr looks good so far. The Raiders' offenses look good. I thought that was a weird one going in. I didn't really understand the line I was talking about on, in a couple different places that, that I thought the Raiders might be able to win that game. They did go on to win it. I, I you know, I don't know necessarily that the Raiders are for real and all of that, but the, their, their defense probably isn't. I think the Steelers have some real issues on the offensive side, so – we were going to talk about the the least impressive offenses so far. I have some big concerns about the Steelers. But on the Raiders' side, they were able to sort of capitalize on that. The Steelers were stalling out drives. It was giving the Raiders just some additional chances. Carr got a little banged up, but played through it. Yeah, he looked good. I mean, I know you're you're very high on Carr. I maybe wasn't quite as impressed. I thought they looked good. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't you know, I, I thought the Steelers looked bad. It gave them additional chances, and – they were able to, you know, make the most of it. The the deep shot to Rugs was obviously a huge play late in that game. But yeah, I mean, I I, I would say the bigger story there again was was the Pittsburgh side. I mean, I, I Roethlisberger. I know that he's been throwing ducks for a couple of years. I kind of got that pushback in a couple of places that like he's been this bad though, and it's worked. And he wasn't statistically terrible in this game. He winds up throwing for two hundred ninety five yards. I mean, he looks like he's significantly worse than even he's looked to the last couple of years when we've joked about him not being able to throw and having arm punts and all of these things. I'm definitely pretty concerned about the Steelers passing game, their ability to move the ball, and, and just how good they're going to be overall as, an, as a team. 
their defense is going to be good and going to create chances for them, but it's not an offense that I want to like that I'm excited about having, you know, exposure to right now. And I think that makes some sense. I had some uh, very sharp fantasy minds push back a little bit on my ranking of the three wide receivers versus the ranking of Roethlisberger because they didn't seem to match up. Obviously having Roethlisberger pretty low. The situation with the Steelers offense is more one where I felt that they were going to have guys who played well if an injury occurred to any of the three receivers, the other two players would then have a ton of value. They were going to dump the ball off to Harris quite a bit. And so kind of that combination makes it a little bit trickier. And then today we actually had a little bit of a mini breakout from Friar Moose. And so you're getting a lot of guys involved here, but at the same time, we did still see Deontay Johnson play pretty well because of the rushing touchdown. And that's one of the things that the Juju Smith-Schuster brings to the table is that he is a good run with the ball in his hand guy. He's probably not going to beat you too many times for you know 70-yard uh, catches in the air, but he can catch those short ones. He can get a rushing touchdown like he did today. Uh, I guess I think that this offense is still going to be fine. The guy who has struggled through two weeks and has kind of been the person hurt by the weak arm strength from Mossberger has been Chase Claypool. A lot of the ducks that been through today were to him. Claypool would jump in the air and then still really not make that strong of a play on the ball. When he would get hit by the defenders as he was trying to make a play, it really seemed to throw him off. Would you say that you think that that's the way this offense is going to play out, or would we still expect to see – Claypool bounce back. I mean, I think that he's going to have some big games just like he did last year as a rookie, but it's going to be hit and miss enough that it's going to be tricky for people who have him in seasonal leagues and want to consistently start him. The combination of things that are going on here, I think are going to make that tricky. Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, no, I, there's a really fine line with players like Claypool in fantasy. When, like, what you're describing he could be, when that happens... Everyone gets very frustrated. They say that, you know, when he has this big game, he wasn't even in your lineup anyway. He's inconsistent. And then when they're a little bit more consistent, they're obviously just smashes. And really the difference is like, you know, if Claypool has big games every third week as opposed to, you know, two out of every three weeks, which is definitely a, a, a big difference. But, um, you know, you think about the, we're talking about one outcome being different different every three weeks if that makes sense so you know maybe if, if two-thirds of the of the players schedule winds up being pretty big hits they have some big long long uh downfield catches they have you know a touchdown then we're talking about them as being a consistent smash and we're kind of excusing the one-third of the of the game log that was some you know some duds or you know the, the, the big plays weren't there it doesn't feel like it hurts as much and then it, it it feels like just a couple of games swing the other way, and suddenly, you know, that was something that like people would always say about Will Fuller and, and other players. I, I just I don't know. I think it's funny because a lot of times their, their profile is not that different. But I agree with you that Claypool's heading towards that other side of it, where the big games are going to be less frequent than the games like today. He did have a fifty-two yard catch today. He only has three catches for seventy yards. I, I do think the big games are probably going to be less frequent than the things the, the days like we saw today and in week one. And then people are, are probably going to overreact the other way on that. And so, yeah, you, I, yeah, yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the, the big games will still come. He's going to be like an interesting DFS play at times. If you don't have options, he'll be someone you can slot into your lineup and sort of hope to, to hit the big play that week. But He's, they're going to be more inconsistent, obviously, in this offense. I, I do agree, though, with your broader premise that, like, when, when you say the offense is going to be fine for the high target guys, obviously, Deontay Johnson's had a couple of decent games. Juju Smith Schuster's been solid. Najee Harris catches five balls today and has a receiving touchdown. I mean, Roethlisberger's going to get them receptions in the PPR leagues, and, you know, it's going to be fine. I'm just more concerned about the overall point scoring. I'm more concerned about the touchdown equity for the whole offense this is not going to be a high powered offense which it's at least had some ability to be i think over the last couple of years at times and and it probably will at at times obviously this year but the 17 points against the raiders at home today that's a that's a pretty big red flag for me i mean people have always talked about big ben's home road splits he's back at home he's facing a bad defense they struggle and even when they're behind and, and roethlisberger throws 40 times they struggle and i think there's something there Another offense, uh, well, there's a couple other offenses. The Jets, I know you haven't gotten a chance to watch that game yet, but they looked absolutely horrible. I've, I've said that they've had you know, some maybe some under undervalued elements to them in the market dating back to draft season. I'm, I'm certainly kind of switching my opinion on that for now. That 
they've not looked good. I don't think you want to be starting any Jets right now. The Jaguars have not looked very good. The, the, the Bills are an interesting one. The Bengals are interesting ones. They're, they're offenses that I expect to bounce back that have been very good in the past, and, and we have reasons to believe that they could be good. But both have not looked as good as I expected them to so far through two weeks. So those are a couple more that I had on my list. What what among those are most interest you? Well, the Jaguars is kind of a, a weird one because the arm talent for Trevor Lawrence just jumps off the screen and he looks amazing on so many of the throws. And so then it's the question of, are they close? Uh, are they not close because the scheme doesn't work? I mean, you have some questions about the experience level at the NFL level of the coaching staff and uh, just you know the quality of coaching that they're getting as they're trying to put this together. There's also the element of, you know, are they using their best players? Now, they had James Robinson much more involved today. That was good to see. Marvin Jones did look good on the first drive, four receptions, a touchdown. He had uh, a, just a beautiful 50-yard target later in the game. So the beautiful part was from Lawrence. He wasn't able to make the play on that one. The Jacks haven't been able to get the two guys involved, definitely not today, that, that we really want to see, right? We haven't uh, seen a lot from LaVisca Chenault. He had a big drop on a third down on a drive where they went run into the line, run into the line, third and short, you get the drop, and then you punt. And so then you got to go stand on the sidelines and wait. And that's one of the reasons why we talk a lot about how the run into the line, run into the line, now you've got to convert on third down is not actually protecting your quarterback, which is one of the issues we saw from the Cincinnati Bengals today. But you know, Chanel has to make plays. And at a certain point, you know, you, you've got to go do what we've been saying that you can do, what the film and the athleticism and the past history indicates that he can do. He didn't do that today. No, multiple, multiple missed opportunities. I completely agree with you on Lawrence. Uh, I, I have in my stealing signals notes that the TV pass of Marvin Jones was beautiful. But at the same time, he winds up on the day 14 of 33, only throws for 118 yards on 33 pass attempts at 3.6 yards per attempt. And some of that is because of, of Chenault. You were, you were just making that point. Chenault, seven targets, only has two catches for negative yardage and really, uh, really struggled. He, he got some intermediate targets. So we talked a lot about the, as a community. The, the community made a lot about LaVisca Chenault's ADOT in week one. One of the things I wrote in Stealing Signals is that the downfield targets will come. They will they'll pop in sporadically. It was, you know, an indication that Chenault's going to get a lot more targets around the line of scrimmage. But we saw some of those intermediate targets, and he just couldn't bring in anything. I mean, you could have probably charged him with three or four drops today. Yeah, so he he has to play better. We, we look across at the Bengals, one of our favorite teams, and we talked a lot about how it's – I mean, this is a play for the second half of the season – and yet at the same time, you don't want them to look the way they looked in the first half. Now, this is a weird one because I think there are a lot of positives, a lot of negatives. Uh, Higgins has the best line in terms of fantasy, six for 60 and a touchdown. Uh, you'll definitely take that in your starting lineup. He did have this beautiful deep target early where he made a lousy effort on, only gets one hand on it. Uh, a star receiver have to either make the catch just outright or at least get two hands on the ball. Just the effort wasn't there. He fumbles on another drive later. I mean, there were things that he could have done to make this a much different day. So even though he goes six for 60 and one, I mean, again, we have to call out the players that we love and not just paper over 
the mistakes that they've made. At the same time, you have a disastrous game from the Bengals and a really poor performance from Joe Burry. He throws the three interceptions, and yet you look at the fantasy line at the end, and a seven for 73 from Boyd, definitely playable. Higgins, obviously playable. Chase has the long touchdown. He goes 254 and one. If you have him in your lineup, then again, I mean, you're fine. He didn't win the week for you. But even in a terrible game, right, these guys were all very startable fantasy wide receivers. And that actually gives me a lot of hope that this team, when it comes around, is going to be able to do some of the things that we've seen from a team like the Buccaneers. And when it happens, it's going to be pretty exciting. The fact that Jamar Chase has come out of the gates hot, I think, makes this offense, it's going to be spectacular. What you can't do are all these plays where, so after the fumble, right, they come out and they run on first and second down, and then, you know, you get the pick six. It's just like, you, your previous drive ended because a wide receiver fumbled. Why are you giving more touches to Joe Mixon? He's 20 carries for 69 yards today. The carries to Mixon and the interceptions from Burrow sort of equally responsible for blowing this game that, I mean, they played terrible football and lost 20 to 17. I mean, that's a game that you have to win because if you even just played mediocre, you win going away. Yeah, completely agree. And I agree with your point that one of the big notes from signals last week on this offense was how concentrated it was. It was basically just the five players, every snap Mixon at running back, Uzama at tight end and the three receivers. And we saw today a huge concentration of their targets to those three receivers. I think we'll continue to see that. That's great news for all three of them Uh, on Chicago side. Andy Dalton goes down. Justin Fields gets a little action. I've been very, very excited to see fields in real game action. Look great in the preseason to not look great today. We don't know Dalton's health, but I'm excited. I, I I will probably start Fields next week if if he starts, just because of the rushing ability. He did run ten times in this game, got thrown into you know an ongoing game. Maybe if he gets a chance to game plan a little bit, things will get turned around. Didn't look great as a passer, I will say. Didn't look great, but that interception. I mean, that interception was a terrible play. The rest of it, I think, looked fine. I mean, you look at this game. One of the key things and the key takeaways early on is that Darnell Mooney is the guy that gets open, and he's the guy who gets the target. I mean, he's open at will. Fields missed him on what could have been a touchdown late in the game. Uh, as this offense develops more passing volume, Mooney is a guy who could be uh, sort of the stealth star, stealth league winner for you. Now, you look at the the final result for Allen Robinson. He, he does have the two catches and the touchdown. He had two other end zone targets. So if you do have Robinson and spent a lot on him and are a little bit disappointed, there is some room for enthusiasm there in terms of the quality of some of the targets that he's getting, but I mean, he's going to have to catch a lot of touchdowns to balance out the fact that he doesn't get open nearly as well as his teammate. And you mentioned fields didn't play well, but that third end zone target for Allen Robinson, is just a drop. It was a beautiful pass by fields. What are your thoughts on Cole Komet? Cause we're pretty high on him. Uh, it was a disappointing day today. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to have more passing volume and he's going to have to play better. He had a really nice play that was wiped out by a questionable offensive pass interference Uh, on some of these teams. And I think that you've seen it a little bit with the 49ers as well. The 49ers have been disappointing offensively. Debo Samuel has been basically everything that they've gotten. Even with the passing quarterback playing right now, we're not getting anything from Ayuk. We're not getting anything from Kittle. The running game doesn't look that great. I, I, it can't, help but hurt you a little bit when you're trying to get two quarterbacks ready and when you're kind of looking to the second half of the season to have these guys emerge i think that once we get a more stable offense for these guys that some of the people 
are going to simply play better than they are right now or get better, higher quality opportunities. Kometa's flashed a little bit in week one. I mean, he looks big and athletic today. He looks like a guy who could be kind of following in that line of players like a Travis Kelsey and a George Kittle. But I mean, he's got to get open better, and they just have to have more pass volume. They have to have a more functional offense for him to realize the potential we think that he has as a fantasy asset in 2021. Definitely. I, I also threw the Bills out there. I do want to say, I mean, obviously they won 35-0 today. Their defense dominant. Tua Tagovailoa went out early. Jacoby Brissett was not really able to get anything going. And so it, it became a much more run-heavy game than we'll typically see from the Bills. They had three rushing touchdowns. Devin Singletary scores. Zach Moss scores twice later. You know, we talked a lot in the offseason that the Bills running backs were going to have more opportunities to score. This is a good example of that. It is just a little, you know, a little disappointing to see their pass volume and pass efficiency so far. I think that will pick up, though. The, this game environment was not great for them. But uh, let's close out with some talk about some other zero RB people. You had, right when we jumped on before we started recording, you were pretty excited to talk about Tony Pollard. I mean, he looked like an absolute star today. And Ezekiel Elliott didn't look bad. So uh, we don't want to come on here and bash Elliott every week when he looks pretty good. I and mean, he looked pretty good today. The Cowboys offense overall was not as dynamic as it was last week against the Bucks. A lot of that was that Amari Cooper was completely taken out of this game, something that you know we have a problem with from uh, time to time with Cooper. But I thought that CeeDee Lamb looked tremendous again, gets open at will, runs after the catch. They actually gave him a scheme just straight up handoff out of the backfield which I mean, that's not going to affect his fantasy profile very much, but it gives you a sense of who they want to have the ball in their hands. One of the question marks with Lamb a little bit is this idea of, well, he's not that big. He's not that athletic. Can he be a superstar with that profile? And when you're seeing guys get just running back touches out of the backfield because they want you to have the ball, that answers some of those questions. Not that it's really even that much of a question after we saw what he did again in week one. I mean, everything that he's done all along the line screams, impending superstar but then you go back to Pollard and some of these games if you didn't get a chance to see them you may be wondering well did Elliot go down for a while was it a thing where they wanted to rest him during the stretch did Pollard get all of his points in a bundle where it's still pretty fluky then this was a straight split today Tony Pollard scored a bunch of points in the first half he caught the ball to the backfield he ran the ball uh, you know even in the game last year we had the huge performance a lot of it came in the passing game there were some questions about how well he ran out of the backfield they handed off to him and he exploded through those holes i mean yeah i mean to your point about the committee in the the second to last drive for the cowboys they had a 10 play drive um started with the final play of the third quarter went well into the fourth quarter pollard started that drive on the last play of the third quarter they came out in the fourth he's still on the field he gets three more carries in a row. He, he started that drive with four straight carries. Elliott ends up coming in later on that drive and, and having a one-yard carry. Pollard had two 20-plus yard carries earlier in the drive. I mean, he just looked a lot more explosive than, than Elliott. I'm kind of alluding to it. You, you already mentioned it as well. And then they have one more drive after that. Elliott does start that final drive, but Pollard gets, gets a carry on that drive as well. It, there are a couple, actually, as I'm looking at it now. It was very interesting to me, though, you know, three-point lead, late third quarter, Pollard starts the drive. And then the quarter changes, and they go back to Pollard three straight times. I mean, it, it was a committee. It was very much a committee. And at that point, with the game on the line, it was like they were saying, 
we want our best back on the field right now. We need to go get more points. It is a you know late game. We're, we're protecting a three-point lead, and they wanted Pollard on the field for it. So that was very interesting. And there's an element of Pollard where he falls to where he falls in drafts because the question of does he have any standalone value? People are looking at Pollard's all-time contingency play where if Elliott goes down or sort of a desperation by play, after week two, I mean, you're seeing as much standalone value with him as you're seeing just total value with a lot of backs. Now, we know that every week they're not going to have as much total value to the running backs as they had this week. They should heavily back for the running backs versus the wider this week. But the fact that he looked so good, I mean, now I feel like we can confidently start him in any team really even have questions at all about the running back two slot. Yeah, absolutely. I have some teams where... I have Pollard and, and used him this week because there are some question marks and I'm excited to continue to use him. And, and that's something that we emphasize with the zero RB stuff is, is back. It's not just running back injuries. You know, it, it, it can be these types of situations where backups earn more work than we're aware of the, you know, the way running back touches work and it, it is very valuable to just have some work essentially when you can get that a lot cheap, you know, a lot more cheaply. I, at this stage, especially considering cost, obviously you would have much rather have drafted Pollard than Zeke, but you might even just want him straight up. I mean, I, that, that's per- perhaps questionable. Zeke certainly going forward probably has the the, the more stable volume projection, but it is uh, it is interesting to think through things that way. There were and there were a lot of backfields this week. You know, as we look look around the league, that we're going to have you know some more names be viable. I mean, we we had in, in San Francisco last week, everyone bid on Elijah Mitchell. Everyone bid on Jamichael Hasty behind him. Mitchell, Hasty, and even Trey Sermon on his one lone touch had a pretty scary concussion, got hit in the head a couple different ways. We, we don't know what San Francisco's backfield is going to look like next week. It's potentially going to have, you know, new faces again, whoever that may be, whether it's, you know, Trenton Cannon or Carrion Johnson or whoever, whoever they – May have to call up if if any of those guys aren't able to play. We had you know Daryl Henderson get banged up. We had I'm kind of looking through my notes here. Christian McCaffrey left the game and, and scared me for a minute. He just got an IV for cramps. You know Cordell Value. Uh, uh, Cor- <laughs> you know Cordell Patterson a little more value than we thought behind Mike Davis. That's not as much of a one man band as we had suspected. Dalvin Cook, I haven't seen anything on Dalvin Cook yet, but I, I saw a note that he had a little bit of an ankle thing. Austin Eckler takes a shot to the head, leaves for a concussion check, did return. Everything must have checked out good there. But for a brief moment, I think we saw that Justin Jackson would be the guy that would sort of be in that Eckler role. Roundtree would probably stay in his role. That's more or less what we would expect. But Jackson did get a catch, seemed to be playing in the passing the, the passing plays while Eckler was off the field. But there were several different backs uh, today. You know, we already have, you know, the Baltimore backfield that we need to break down more as we go forward. Several different backfields today where there was just more uncertainty. You know, Josh Jacobs was out and Las Vegas had to do things differently. So just a lot of backfields where the points at which drafters were taking backs in, in the early rounds, expecting these guys to be available and play a lot. They weren't. Now, I mean, one thing I, I do need to note is a lot of the receivers that we liked and drafted have not been available either. I have a lot of Michael Gallup. I have a lot of Will Fuller. I have a lot of Jerry Judy. And so those things do happen. But wide receiver is the position where if they are healthy, they're more likely to at least retain value. They have higher floors. They're not going to be 
as dependent on just getting touches, just getting volume. Their opportunity is essentially running routes, and then their talent is the ability to earn targets and those things. And so I feel a lot more comfortable you know, knowing, especially with those wide receiver heavy teams, that we have other receivers we can plug in that are good and they're going to get us points. It's funny. I, I felt like these first couple of weeks have gone about as bad as they could go. I was joking with you towards the end of draft season. Last year went really well, kind of due for this year to not be great. I, I felt like a lot of things have not necessarily gone right. Derek Henry has an explosion this week. Um, you know, some older players that we're not necessarily going to be on, Rob Gronkowski, Marvin Jones, whoever, are, are, are playing well. And yet at the same time, I look at all my teams and none of them are, are in bad shape. I mean, they're, there are a couple that aren't, haven't had an amazing start. Overall, my whole portfolio is fine, and it has been pretty unquestionably not the, the start I was hoping for in the best-case scenario. So even feeling even better than that. Yeah, my, my point was more that even with feeling like things have run bad, we know there is some luck with some of these things with injuries and with the way things will play out. But even with some of that, I, I feel like this is why we talk about building the rosters that we do. I mean, it's an important thing to – to, to, to not to do a victory lap, but to look back on after a couple of weeks. The whole point, Sean, you always say humility-based drafting, it's knowing that we're going to be wrong. And we've, as, as a, a group, drafters, ADP has been wrong on a lot of running backs. And it's been pretty clear their value is not where um, they were listed. They've also been wrong on receivers. More often that's been because of injury, but there have been some that have just underperformed. But... The way that we draft is acknowledging that we're going to be wrong on both of those things. And so trying to structure a roster that can succeed even amid that uncertainty. And that's the whole point, right? So far this year, even with some things kind of running bad, I, I feel pretty good about the ability for, for a lot of my rosters to, to continue to be successful. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. Yeah, tomorrow night, like you said, it'll be fun to watch Swift and Hawkinson. Um, I'm excited to watch AJ Dillon. He's going to be better than people think, especially after a poor week one, which was largely driven by the fact that they were out of uh, position to run the ball for the entire game, essentially. Do you have any bold prediction for this? Are, are you concerned about the fact that they were annihilated by the Saints and the Saints were manhandled by your Carolina Panthers? The, the Saints-Packers game was just a weird one. I, you know, The way I phrased it on you know some other shows last week was, if you played that 10 times, I don't think it could have ran worse for the Packers than it did. I mean, the Saints put together two 15-play drives in the first half, another one that was a nine-play drive. You know, that, that that's good execution. They have a very good offensive line. The Packers asked teams to run the ball. But nickel and diming it up the field is not an easy game to live by. You just talked about this with running it twice and then trying to throw on third down. The Saints were able to just consistently move the chains doing that. But you can't, you know, just pull out 15-play touchdown drives you know, at will. That's not, you know what I mean? That's that's where I say if you play it 10 times in a row, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work the same way. And what that did was it limited Rodgers and the Packers to 12 first-half plays before they took over with a minute left. They had a quick drive to get to field goal range, kicked a field goal, and then they were just really pass-happy in the third quarter as they were down 17-3. They continued to fall further and further down. And by the 10-minute mark in the fourth quarter, Jordan loves in the game because things continue to go worse. Rodgers had a couple of bad interceptions. I don't think he does that in most games. So, no, I'm not particularly concerned. I think that was one of those kind of fluky football games. There are, you know, key hinge moments in every football game. The Rodgers interceptions were big ones. The fact that the Saints were able to consistently convert so many third downs and, and these long drives were 
you know, not necessarily individual moments, but the the drives were were moments. And so, yeah, I, I don't think like like I said, if those teams were to were to play that game multiple times, that it would come out that way, that that poorly for Green Bay again. I, I do think they will bounce back and, and look much much better at home against Green uh, against Detroit on Monday night. But you know, whatever happens, we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be talking about it. We'll have already done all of our research, done our our writing. Um, I got to get to bed. Sean, you're a night person. We, we're going to be doing these Sunday night chats at all year. You're you you're like always jazzed. I'm ready for for bed Sunday night. So the listeners will have to get used to this this balance between you and I, where I'm going to be half asleep and you're going to be ready to go. Well, I, I doubt that. I know that today was wasn't exactly what you were hoping for in DFS, but we know that you're going to come back with a huge week three and be bouncing off the walls again, like it was last week. Ben, it's so much fun to do these Sun Night shows with you. We appreciate the, all, all the listeners stopping by to hang out with us. That'll do it for tonight's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up this week for Stealing Signals. If you haven't done it, you can always also join us at Rotoviz. And if you want to get a 10% discount, use the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Please subscribe to our our feed. You get the show Monday mornings that way. And if you can, leave us a rating and review. We appreciate all the stuff you guys have done for us in that avenue. Hopefully you had a great Sunday. luck for uh, each and every one of you on Monday Night Football, whether that's DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, or AJ Dillon getting in for three touchdowns as Packers run over the Lions. We're rooting for you. We'll talk to you soon. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.